you want to try to bring in somebody who's seasoned because the idea is it's not about getting from A to B. You want to, if your journey is to get to Z, you want to, you want to try to bring somebody who's at least knows how to get to M. You are the factor. Welcome to The Factor. I'm your host, Sonny Mayuba. Sit back, relax, but be ready to ask some really great questions because today's guest is amazing. I'm a founder who's experienced gut-wrenching failure and the glory of taking a startup idea from napkin to NASDAQ. And now I work with Sparrow Ventures. At Sparrow, we invest in the things that make life worth living with a focus in three key areas, well-being, work and purpose, and human connection. And we invest in founders who are building a future we all want to live in, generational companies that have a purpose at its core and can scale to be billion-dollar companies. If you're one of those companies, we want to hear from you, by the way. So, like I said, I'm so excited about today's guest. Meet Lomit Patel. Lomit managed growth at Roku, went to IPO, Trusted ID, acquired by Equifax, Texture, acquired by Apple, and Earthlink. He has a new best-selling book. Oh, yeah. In addition to taking all those companies to the top, he wrote a book called Lean AI that is part of Eric Reese's The Lean Startup series. And quick side note, The Lean Startup was like my Bible. I think I did 18 versions of Cliff Notes myself for my startup. So I'm so excited to hear some insights from that whole world. And today we're going to talk about growth strategies, marketing tactics, programmatic versus influencer, AI, GPT-3, getting your first 1,000 customers, and when we can expect a James Halliday oasis to be a reality, which I think we're going to hear from Loman is pretty much already here. Audience of The Factor, you are part of the show. So as you're watching the show or if you have great questions, if you've read about Lomit, place your questions in the Zoom chat at any time. And if chosen, you get to ask Lomit live. I won't ask it. You get to ask live. So let's dive in. Hey, Lomit. Welcome. Thanks. You are the factor. Hey, Sonny. Thanks for having me. Hey, glad you're here. Glad you're here. We've got a really, really great looking audience here today. I know there's a lot of founders. And um, I'm glad that you and I get to have a conversation, albeit here in the COVID era. So let's right. jump in. Um, I've got a lot of topics I want to touch on. And like I said, I, I have a bunch of questions. I'd love to you and I to have a quick conversation and then we'll turn it over to the audience. But let me start with this. So you're working at IMVU or IMVU or who knows what it's called or how you say it, but you're working yep. at IMVU. And I went to the wiki and it's described as an online metaverse and social networking site. So to kick us off, I want you to unpack for that for us. What is a metaverse and what is IMVU? Good question. So uh, I'll start off by saying that IMVU has been around since 2004. So, you know, for any, any founders out there that are still trying to get their start off to, to an exit, you know, have patience. <laughs> that's, 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 that's the first thing uh, I'll put out. But yeah, you know, uh, you know, just like, so the metaverse obviously is, is more popular now. It's, you know, it's kind of a virtual reality world where, you know, where, where the physical and the, um, the digital world kind of 
intersect. And obviously back in 2004, that was pretty early when IMVU was, was trying to sort of get into this. But uh, what I would say is that at the core, we're like a virtual reality uh, social network where people um, right now, the way most people interact in, in virtual reality is to create an avatar. So, so you know, we've really kind of perfected the way that people can really create a, a, a real life looking avatar version of yourself. And, and, and it gives you the ability to kind of go into IMVU where we have millions of users from around the world. And, and at the core, it's really about you know, making uh, friendships. So it's about human connection and, 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 and having these virtual friendships with people from around the world and creating these virtual worlds where you can have these shared experiences. That's incredible. So I read Ready Player One and IMVU seems remarkably similar. Um, is the movie or is the movie, movie is the book <laughs> or the movie based on IMVU? Um, is there similarities there? And, and let's go big picture. Do you see a time when there is a reality inside of an avatar-based social network where currency happens and relationships and you know, points up, points down, roles and hierarchies and that whole thing? Yeah, so you know, Ready Player One, I don't know how many people watch that. You know, it, it, you know, it's a good reflection of, of, of what IMVU potentially is going. You know, and, and, and that's the kind of world that we feel is going to come more of the norm. The, the reality is that, you know, uh, it, it, you know, there's, there's different ways to connect with users, you know, and, you know, uh, virtual reality is an escape from the, the, the real life, right, for, for most people. And, you know, we, what, what we've found is even, even though it's like virtual reality, you know, we obviously do a lot of research around our users and, and this whole space, the feelings that people get are still human feelings. So, you know, uh, feelings of being validated, feelings of wanting to live an aspirational life. You know, you can do a lot of these things in, in you know, whether you want to use a word, you know, virtual reality or metaverse, that's kind of what it is. And, you know, uh, what, what, what's happening now is, is, is just with the, the exponential growth of technology and bandwidth, you know, all of these immersive experiences are becoming more and more rich, richer in, 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 the, in the alternate reality world. And, you know, the other part of that is there's a lot of big companies that are really working on different ways to try and transport people into that world, whether it's through hardware and the costs are exponentially going to keep coming down, just, just the nature of technology. So, so there's going to be this kind of happy medium where the costs are going to come down to really enable a lot more people to try and kind of get, 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 get into this world. We're not talking about the world where, you know, people are trying to get, get a ticket with, uh, with Elon Musk to go to space. That's still, that's, but, 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 but the reality is you could actually go to space in, in, in the metaverse without really needing to leave your home. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really about, um, you know, uh, giving, you know, giving people the, 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 the way to try and experience other, you know, other aspects of, of how life is lived, you know, or what they might be aspiring to, even if they can't actually, you know, be able to, to, to get to that in, in, in the physical world right now. Right. And, and, that, and that appeals to a lot of people. Yeah. It does. Well, I mean, and there's, there's practical applications, right? I mean, do you yeah. see a time 
when I know AR and VR can be used for light training, but do you see a time when, you know, AR and VR is used for, you know, really deep training for surgeons, training for military? Um, how about tourists? Do they want to, do they really want to go to Antarctica or not? Do they uh, take an avalanche course on, in virtual reality or real reality? Is, is that application coming? Yes, it is, you know, and, you know, you know, one way to look at it is that, it, you know, with AR and, and VR, one of the things that it can do is it, it can kind of put you into environments, whether those are environments where you can learn something or, or you can experience something without needing to physically be there. And as you know, you know, physically trying to do a lot of training around, let's say, warfare or, or, or surgery, you know, uh, you know, the way it's done right now, it's, it, it's about actually sort of being and, 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 you know, in the room and actually doing it on a physical person, there's risks, right? But, but in the virtual world, you'll be able to, to do this and be able to, to get the skill set that's needed. Because ultimately, you know, anything that you want to learn, you know, it's, it's about repeating it and, and putting yourself in that environment and, and, and doing that. And, you know, right, you know, obviously there's limitations to how that can be done in, in the physical world, but in the virtual world, you know, you know, you can kind of rinse and repeat that and, and be able to be exposed to many different facets of whatever skill that you want to get better at and, and or, you know, whether that's in healthcare, whether, whether that's around, you know, shopping experiences, you know, as we know right now, I mean, a lot of people are limited to staying at home. They can't even kind of come out. But, you know, I mean, there's some, some of the retailers have already started applying some forms of AR and VR where, you know, they're actually bringing the store to you where you can actually try things on and have a feel for, you know, is this good for me or not? I mean, I mean, one thing that that really helps solve is to help you get a personalized experience on before you buy something. And it also reduces the number of like returns, which is a big problem for a lot of e-commerce retailers right now, right? Because a lot of people are buying and returning stuff. But, you know, this, but to what you're saying, the long story short is that it can be applied to a lot of different use cases. And ultimately, it will just enable people to get better, faster and smarter in learning different skills and, 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 and being able to, you know, function, you know, more product, you know, more productively um, based on whatever they're trying to tackle or whatever sure. businesses are trying to do out there. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the business of IMVU. Um, you're extremely experienced and you've been on a lot of fast rocket ship journeys. IMVU has been around for, I mean, I guess nearly a couple decades. Um, Two-part question, Lomit. How have they survived? I mean, talk a little bit about how the business has survived, what challenges the business has overcome, and how they monetize. And now with you there, uh, heading up growth, talk to us about what you hope to achieve. Yeah, so, you know, uh, I would say with any business to survive, it really comes down to ensuring that you're trying to solve a problem that people value at the end of the day. You know, and, you know, one thing that, uh, MVU has going for it and has done a great job of is, you know, uh, is that it has really loyal customers, people that use the product and get engaged and, and immersed into this, you know, uh, virtual reality uh, social network. 
you know, really stick around. And it, and it really comes down to a couple of things. Why do people stick around? You know, because it, because it's like anything in real life, it's about relationships, you know, and, and if you look at any other social network out there, it's the same game mechanics like Facebook. It's about making a certain number of friends within a certain time frame. It's about getting people engaged into making friendships, engaging in chat rooms, engaging in these shared experiences. And so ultimately, you know, once, once, once they have those friendships, then, then, then it becomes social. It's kind of like a social pressure where, where, where you want to engage. And what we found in our research is that most people that come into IMVU want to have relation, want to have friendships with people that aren't their real life friends. So that's, mm. you know, it's, it, it's interesting. interesting. And, 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 you know, some people might think that sounds strange, but, but let me, let me give you an example. You know, you know, in real life, people sort of know your backstory for the most part, right? Who you sure. are. And, and, but, but if you're trying to live an aspirational life, you can kind of go into IMVU and, 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 you know, I may not be the six pack sports, <laughs> job but you know and i am v you can I, be i can I be you. right so i yeah. can be like i can have long black hair again that's and right like rock star you, in front of like eighty thousand, ninety thousand right. people exactly really? yeah so 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 what imagine how, waiting for so so another way to look at it you can you can kind of live your ultra ego life in in, wow. in imvu and and so you know it's addicting that, it? it's I mean, addicting. addicting it's very yeah. addicting and and people don't realize but the average time that most people spend on IMBU, you know, it's, it's about like an hour a day, you know, I mean, so it's, I mean, yeah, like a social network, right? I mean, it is a social an network. An hour or two, hour to yeah. a day. So yeah. have you figured out, the, the, by the way, this is fascinating. Have yeah. you figured out, I've, we, we, I think all of us have seen Chamas L7, you know, the seven friends in the, in the yeah. certain amount of time. Yeah. And that's when the inflection point to addicted yeah. Facebook user versus non-addicted yeah. Facebook user that he figured out. Yeah. Brilliant, simple, but brilliant. Yeah. Have you figured out something like that, and are you willing to share it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, for us, there's there's two things. It's you know, you know, you know, it averages to about like you know seven friends in ten days. But seven beyond friends, okay. that, but yeah. but beyond that, the other thing that is a really strong predictor, and, and I'm going to use the word lifetime value. Hopefully, people know what that means. It's you sure. know, someone who ends up sticking around and, and spending the most money on our platform. It, it, the key predictor to that is to get somebody to pay uh, to spend a nominal amount within the first seven days of like a dollar. If we can get somebody to trust us by by, by spending a dollar in, in 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 our platform, then that's a really good predictor that they're going to continue to keep spending, and 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 all of those micropayments add up to really meaningful numbers. Mm -hmm. over the lifetime simple, simple and brilliant that's great yeah. and so and and, and yeah. so to answer your question in the business model you know that in terms of how, how we monetize because that's important yeah. too yeah please so so we monetize users through in-app purchases and so what we've done you know genius or not but we've created our own currency it's called the mview credits and and just like with any currency you know it, you know it, it has a lot of meaning in the virtual world because people need to buy those credits with real real money and then redeem it to buy virtual stuff either to mm -hmm. customize the look and feel of the avatars or the different worlds or the experiences that they, they want to engage in and you know the 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 average um you know um, with every new user we always give them like four thousand free credits to get started 
and, and the trick is you, you know, I mean, we test this uh, many different ways, but the idea is you give them enough credits to get started, but enough to become and look like a rock star like you, right? So, <laughs> so, so, so what happens is once, what, 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 once they start customizing, you've already got them engaged in the game because what they've invested at that point is time, right? right. You know, you've already, they've already invested time into the game to create the look and feel of the avatar. And, and, and then we start, you know, within the first 24 to 48 hours, we can really quickly predict whether someone is more likely to pay for those credits through in-app purchases or the other option that we give them if they're not able to pay for the credits is to earn those credits. So they can earn those credits by doing um, what we call indirect advertising options like uh, rewarded videos, uh, filling out surveys, or these other ways that we can monetize on the advertising side where, where, where they're committing their time in order to earn those rewards. And so ultimately, you know, you know we've got a pretty good predictor on which of those two uh, ways that the user is going to fall into as far as it comes to monetizing. And then the rest of the product experience from that point on is going to feed into that, in, into which path that we feel the user falls into. Makes perfect sense. So since you went there, let's talk about user segments. I mean, you, you just talked about the outcome and then the decision tree you take as a growth head on what you're going to do and where you're going to you know, lead users. How are you capturing all the user data? Have you built a CDP? Was there one there? What tools are you using? And, and not only talk about what you're doing, give advice for, you know, for early stage startups on, you know, who haven't yet executed on a, a customer data platform, what should they be doing and what should they be, you know, capturing about users to build the segments precisely for what you're talking about? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, this is really important for any startup, no matter what stage you're at, is, 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 is capturing your customer data and ensuring that you're capturing it in, in a place where you can get access to that data. And, and, and so for Envue, you know, I was fortunate, you know, I joined a company, you know, and, you know, you know, we've always been data driven we, and we have a lot of data events. So, you know, for the most part, we built our own CDP customer data platform. And, and, and that's, you know, um, that, that's where all of our data is sort of housed primarily because it used to be on the desktop. But what happened hmm. when I, you know, the time when I joined, it was right around the time when the, uh, when the company was pivoting into, in, into going into mobile. So, so it was a great time because mobile became a great growth engine. But the difference between desktop and mobile was that it gave us the opportunity to sort of leverage some new tech, you know, as a tech stack for gathering our data. Cause we didn't want to sort of, you know, um, use some of the legacy stuff. So we ended up using a new mobile measurement partner for that. So we work with a partner called AppSlur when it comes to- Oh, great, to, yeah, yeah. AppSlur, so, yeah, for attribution yeah. and, okay, for great. For attribution measurement. Yeah, so, fantastic. Yeah, so, 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 so at a high level, we have all of our mobile data coming in from um, AppSlur. We have our desktop data coming in from our data warehouse. All of this feeds into a customer data platform. And then we use another platform called LeanPlum for all of our, um, uh, customer engagement and CRM data for all, 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 all of the events, tracking all the user behavior that, that, that users did in our app. So all of this, these are kind of the three main sources that, that, that where all the data comes in from. And then from there, that's where we sort of have all of our like AI that's kind of, you know, feeds into that. And, and from that, we're able to sort of build as you mentioned, you know, 
you know, user segments, personalization, what's the right monetization, um, you know, that somebody falls into, and, and, and then all of the experiments that go around that is orchestrated from, from those data signals. Brilliant. So you mentioned AI, and I really want to, you just wrote a book called Lean AI, so I, I want to go there now. Um, I noticed in your book, you talk about AI is for smart marketing. Let, let's talk about AI, and, and let's, I, I want to start with if it's okay with you, I want to start with GPT-3 because it's topical, right? I mean, it's, it's swelling on the internet. Um, people are going wild for it. And it's not just predicting food. I haven't used it yet. But from when I, yeah. you know, I, oh, I'm going to predict that Lomit wants a burger or some sushi. Yeah. It, it's writing like cover letters for people. Um, I heard it's building user interfaces. I mean, there's these tweets going around of like, like GPT-3 is like, <laughs> like next level craziness. Yeah. Why is it such a big deal? AI in general or, or, or GB3? I, I, I mean, bo both. Both. I, I, I would say the reason why it's a big deal is because is now it's, it, it, it's just, um, it, it's, it's, ultimately it's about user data, right? User data by itself, you know, just sitting there is of no value unless you are able to extract insights from it and, and figure out how you want to leverage those insights. And so, you know, that's where, that's where the power of AI comes in because because for the most part, you know, you know, the way most companies have done or whatever, right. to kind of comb through all of this data. And, you know, that's great. But, but the reality is most people don't work 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year. <laughs> and, and, and even if they did, they, would be, they wouldn't be able to, like, handle <laughs> the astronomical volume of data that's out there right now. Because... Because if you think about it, Sonny, you know, good and bad, we, we live most of our lives on digital now, right? And so That's there's right. so much velocity of data coming in. And, and so, you know, with this data coming in, you know, if you can layer artificial intelligence and identify good use cases that's what it comes down to at the end of the day because because yeah i mean i mean i mean i mean ai just like any technology can go in many different directions but but the question is what are the most practical use cases so to what you're saying with something like gb3 i mean i mean i mean i mean they've identified use cases because ultimately you know it comes down to is this going to help provide value to the business business value coming in the form of either it's going to drive better retention engagement or is it going to help drive you know cost savings or it's going to help drive more revenue you know right. or some factor of that and right yeah and 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 and, the, and and this is the kicker that people don't realize but but we all know mm -hmm. is that we have less patience now than we did yesterday, right? And, uh, and, so and our true. patience is going to continue to go down, you know, <laughs> and, and, and we're more distracted, even though we're probably, you know, working from home or whatever, we're just bombarded with so much stuff, right? And, and, so, so, and so, you know, this is where, you know, you know, having AI is, you know, is really important because ultimately it's not about getting the insights, but it's about getting the insights and taking action on it in real time at that moment when he is most likely to react to it. That's, 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 that, that's the secret to why so you, AI So I heard, well. that's brilliant. You said you had AI at the center of your CDP. So all the customer yeah. data platforms coming from the yeah. data warehouse, attribution, yeah. the drip campaigns, all the experiments, <laughs> and then you have AI in there. How are you using that? And you're, I, I know you've coined this term smart marketing. How yeah. are you using AI and smart marketing? Unpack that for us. 
Yeah, so the way we, uh, um, you know, uh, the simplistic way to, to think about it is that, you know, with growth, you know, you know, you know, you know, my team's responsible for the entire customer journey. That means, you know, from from the mo from from user acquisition to retention and and monetization. And and the great thing about being responsible for the entire funnel, entire journey is that, as you know, the customer funnel has different aspects to it, right? From awareness to conversion to to retention and to monetization. And so, where we're using all of this is that we we feed in, into the different pieces of the funnel to help us to get better and smarter around an example being, you know, when it comes to like acquiring customers, you know, uh, you know, you know, we spend a lot of money on digital channels, whether that's Google, Facebook, and, you know, a bunch of other like ad networks or partners. What, what people don't realize is that all of those partners at the end of the day, the way, the way it works when you buy and when you buy advertising, it, 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 it's like an ad exchange. It's kind of like the stock market where it's based on mm -hmm. supply and demand. And so, so where our AI really enables us to get, you know, cost efficiencies is that, you know, it, instead of using a unified sort of, you know, price that we pay for different users, it's basing dynamic pricing based on different ad exchanges at different times based on the lead score that we, because we're basically creating these segments of good, better, best, based nice. on what lifetime values are. So our dynamic pricing, for example, you know, we, you know, we may pay up to, I'm just using an example, maybe you know, a $5 CPM for you, but for somebody else, we know isn't going to isn't going to monetize as well. We're willing to pay two dollars, and ultimately, it's about you know having this machine that's automated all of these levers around um, managing bids and budgets, on right. top of the creatives because we're because we're testing thousands of different creative version variations yep. to figure out what's the message that ultimately works well with somebody like Sunny, and then you know how can we find more customers like Sunny and 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 expose them to similar messages and so all of this right. is just orchestrating all of this orchestration is very complex, but going back to the whole idea of lean is you know in the old days of growth. I would have probably had a team of like 30, 40, 50 people needing to do all this. Now I just have a lean team of about four or five people because the machine does all of the heavy lifting for us. With and better results, likely. We're ultimately, no better. offense yeah. to growth people, but like yeah. ourselves. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's I mean, just I mean, optimizing at scale like that the human brain can't quite yet do so yeah and and reduces human error there's always human right error. right yes. and i mean I, I love that you so is that something you built is that is that something that i'm views built that is um it's either either built or put together so it's out uh optimizing bids based upon user profiles so you can acquire this customer which we believe will have an irl tv i'll pay a little more for that one this one we think might have a lower ltv i'll pay a little less for that one is that right yeah, and, and, and actually, um, this might be helpful for a lot of founders out there. Uh, one of the other things that I learned over the years, you know, being in startup is, you know, you know, time and resources are, are, are scarce, right? You know, as, as, and so, you know, how you spend your time and your resources is so important. So, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do coming to MView was to make sure that we just focused our resources on providing the best 
user experience in the product because ultimately the product has to shine no matter what right because that, that that's important and 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 taking people off that and and trying to get you know prioritization on a roadmap for something like this which for the most part you know a lot of people didn't really have the skill set for you know would have required needing to hire like data scientists doesn't make a lot of sense it's kind of a pivot away from the core business and so what so what what i ended up doing in you know uh was i started looking at different startups in the bay area like who's trying to solve this problem you know but doesn't potentially you know uh figured it out and because because mm-hmm. what i was able you know what envy was potentially able to bring to the table is that we have a lot of data and and we have a lot of relationships with all these different partners so we're able to get into alpha and betas to get apis to automate a lot of these tasks and processes that that we're talking about and but i didn't want to like you know get into the situation where we where we either built this because i know from my previous experience when you build this it's it, it building and maintaining are two different things. It never gets yes. maintained and then it starts to age and then it becomes a tech liability yes. rather than an asset. And so, you know, we ended up, um, long story short, we, you know, we, you know, you know, I found a company and it was called Nectar nine and, 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 you know, you know, I worked with them closely to really customize their solution to work for us. And, 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 and that solution pretty much does like 95% of, all of the work that, that we're talking about and and the wow. great thing about it is it, it's a SaaS platform and, and we've kind of you know hmm. set it up in a way where they can actually take that tech and if other entrepreneurs want to sort of piggyback off that you know there's an opportunity for them to kind of learn from what we did very cool repeat that name is next to nine and nectar nine oh and nectar nine okay yeah. cool nectar nine awesome i'll have to check that out and great tip for founders yeah. you know speaking of time and resources and really wrapping everything you're talking about, uh, you and I share this big time moment, which is analytics and data and, and insights are what power the decision-making process. Um, I've noticed that a lot of startups, and I'm back at a startup again, yeah. <laughs> uh, core meditation, you know, uh, you, like any startup, you start at square one, you don't have an analytics discipline. So how do early stage startups, um, begin the journey for an analytics discipline? What what steps can these founders take to, you know, integrate and live in a culture of analytics and data? I mean, for me, you know, uh, going back to, you know, even at IMVU right now, for the most part, you want to try to look at what's free that's out there right now that can do the job, right? So, you know, if it, you know, primarily if it's web, then Google Analytics could be pretty good for that. You know, but having said that, you know, most, most of the world is on mobile now, so that doesn't really work. And so, you know, you know, I think it's important and, 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 and based on the, the, vo- the, the volume of way, where any early company is, for the most part, it's not going to cost a lot to try and integrate with, let's say, an apps flyer or, or adjust or someone because your volume isn't there because normally right. the pricing is based on like MAUs or that's right right and so the idea is for the most part a lot of these companies give you some kind of break up to a certain tier where where you're not really paying next to nothing and 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 and, but but at the end day you know it's always better to go with something like that where you've got the integration in place so as the business does start to scale you don't have to do a whole nother like you know uh upgrade to try and bring another solution in because right because because this is the key, this is the key thing, and, and I think 
you know, you and I appreciate this is that you, you, with data, you want to always look back at your trends too, right? And so if right. you have one integration in place, you can always go back. If you start changing, then, then you lose a lot of that historical context. Exactly. You never load historicals back in because it's yeah. too much of a lift and there's too That's much. Right. So, so the advice is look at the best in class platforms. They either yeah. have a free version yeah. or, or a, a small SaaS version and your volume yeah. so low, it's okay. You grow into it. That's, that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Audience, remember, drop your questions in the Zoom chat for the brilliant Lomit here on any growth strategy. You can get as specific as you want um, or as simple as you want. Uh, and you'll get to ask him live here very shortly. But I, I've got an interesting question. I mean, you were at Roku, which I think is just amazing. And you were the first marketing person, I believe, at Roku. Yeah. So talk to us about founders. How do they know when they're ready to hire that first marketing person? And, and tell us a little bit about your journey of building Roku to going public. Sure. Um, so, so at Roku, I was, I was, I was really fortunate. And, and generally, you know, when I've joined startups, you know, I usually feel it's normally, uh, it's generally been like series B, right? When they've raised their series B for the most part, because the idea is, you know, uh, and, and, and you know this better than, than me, but you don't really want to be bringing in like heavy hitters till, till you've really figured out product market fit. And, right. and, and product market fit for the most part, and, I mean, you get some concept or vision of what that could be during the seed round, but the, the series A is where you sort of come and prove it out, right? And once you right. prove, prove it out, that's when it makes sense to, uh, to bring in, you know, your first hire. And, you know, instead of marketing, I, 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 would, I would say, you know, bring in somebody with, with a growth, you know, a growth marketer, because ultimately, you know, um, you know, bringing in, uh, you know, I mean, marketing, as you know, falls into like a couple of different camps, whether you want to come from the brand side or, or the performance side. But for the most part, you know, uh, you know, bringing somebody in, uh, and I guess my bias is because I come from the performance side, is that ultimately you want to have somebody in there whose interests are aligned with the founder right from the start, because the founder's interest is aligned in the sense like you want every dollar to be accountable for, right? Every, mm -hmm. every, every, every you know, yeah, you want somebody coming in who's spending the money like it's their own money. And, and, and that's generally the, the mindset that you get with performance marketers because everything's trackable. So nobody can like BS around the numbers, you know, you know, you know, and, 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 and the good thing is, you know, you know, you, it's, it's all about the growth hacking mentality, right? Cause, cause it's about running experiments and really, you know, ultimately, you know, the secret to growth is, is to really just the process of running as many as having hypotheses, running as many experiments, taking some big bets. You don't want to farm. You don't, you don't want to bet the farm on it, but you want to you know be able to take calculated risks and 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 be able to really figure out what's working and what's not. Because you know one thing people don't realize, you know you know the biggest you know the biggest challenge with startups isn't necessarily like like money. It's time, you know, it's, it's like time in, in, in many ways, you know, cause, cause you can never get the time back. And, and so, you know, you want to try to leverage your time as much as possible. And, and, you know, another tip that I would have for founders, uh, coming back to Roku quickly, you know, what I found working at Roku and, and one thing that really helped us to be successful was, uh, was the hiring philosophy that they had. 
and 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 that's one company where I found that they're really strict about hiring, at least that I've been involved in. Where where generally, you know, when when companies raise some money, let's say Series B, then it's a matter of hey, you know, you know, let, let's go out and start hiring some people. But when it comes to hiring growth people, they generally want to try to hire people that are going to be more cost effective. So bring in manager levels because it's about hey, we want somebody to be hands on. But that's the that's kind of a mistake because the philosophy at Roku and and a lot of like tech startups that have, that have done pretty well, you want to try to bring in somebody who's seasoned because the idea is it's not about getting from A to B. You want to if your journey is to get to Z, you want to you want to try to bring somebody who's at least knows how to get to M, so <laughs> so that you know. And, 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 and so that it kind of accelerates your time frame to get to M and then maybe that person might not be the right fit from there to Z, but don't bring in somebody who's going to just going to get you to B or C, right? And, and, and the cost, it's opportunity cost at the end of the day in hiring. Hiring is hard enough, right? But it's the opportunity cost of, you know, of, of the amount of money that gets waste that could get potentially wasted just by running experiments because you're bringing somebody in who hasn't really, you know, been through that journey before that is just trying it out and basically learning on your dime. You don't want to be, you don't want that to happen as a founder. You want to bring somebody. And so if that means, you know, uh, being more competitive on the comp initially, it's worth it because at the end of the day, you know, what happens is everybody has an RRI and, and in growth, it's pretty easy to evaluate if, if the person is going to work out or not because, you know, you know how much they're spending, you know, you know how much they cost and, and ultimately is this a positive or, or not for the business, right? Right. No, you're echoing, you know, we, were, we had our Sparrow yeah. Ventures Founder Summit last week and, you know, the mighty boss, Meg Whitman, said the exact same thing. You just said you hire ahead a bit. Yeah. And that's a skill set a great CEO needs. Where are we going? Where's, who's the person I need to hire for, for growth that yeah. will get us there? To M, I like the way you phrase that really well. Um, yeah. Okay, um, Lomit, we're going to switch it up. Oh, go ahead. You got another point? Go ahead. Yeah. And, and so quickly, just to, just to mention about, you know, in, in terms of like, you know, the, the whole um, massive growth of Roku it ultimately started because, you know, uh, you know, f you know, with me coming in, the whole business was, you know, unlike other hardware businesses where they're generally going to retail, you know, Roku was never going to do that. We wanted to be a direct consumer business. I know more DTC businesses are popular now, but this was back in 2008, you know, there weren't right. a lot of business, but the great thing about, you know, for me coming into that environment was that that the CEO basically set up the whole business and the support system to really, you know, pretty much get me the resources that I needed to really figure this out really quickly on how were we going to become a DTC business, how were we going to acquire customers, and for the most part, you know, uh, you know, it, you know, it it worked out. You know, it's really important to have alignment between, you know, growth and, and the CEO, you know, whether you report directly to the CEO or not, because, because, because having that halo, you know, support makes a big difference. And, 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 you know, that I would say, you know, made a huge difference for everything that I ended up doing at Roku. And beyond that, obviously, you know, we had a great product and, you know, right. in terms, in fundamentals. Terms of fundamentals are important. And then, you know, the other thing you want to do is uh, when it comes to growth, you just want to, instead of trying to like try too many things, focus on a, on a handful of strategies that could really work. 
and and nail that and 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 scale it scale that to as deep as it can go before you start adding other things because one of the mistakes a lot of growth teams do is they just try to like throw a lot of things at the wall and then hope something's going to stick and so at roku you know really early on you know you know uh, one, you know, two things that really worked really well for us. One was strategic partnerships. Nobody would even think about it that way. But, but at the end day, early on, we knew that we were going to be a platform, and it was about value, simplicity, and content. Content was the thing that was the magnet to bring people in. And so, you know, before we could go, we could go and sort of acquire users and tell them about content. You know we identified if we can bring in a lot of these big content providers or partners like Netflix and Hulu and, and thousands of other content creators that wanted to get into the streaming side of the business, as well as networks like CBS and Fox, you know, it gave me and my team the ability to do a lot of co-marketing where we could leverage, you know, working with them to really create this really early awareness to people that had a vested interest to, to to where we were working towards the same goal which was to for them it was to try and develop a new channel for streaming and for us it was to acquire users where they were vested to help help us to educate their users to come onto Roku so that I mean that was one thing that really helped us another thing that helped us was you know sometimes you know you know as a startup, you want to try to identify like who's who's the big dog in this industry that you might be trying to disrupt. You know, I mean, for us, there wasn't a real you know direct competitor, but everybody compared us to Apple TV, which was great because mm. because app you know Apple's a great target to work off. So I mean, I used to do a lot of PR too back in the day for Roku, and and it was you know for the most part it was pretty easy to get into press stories because it was all about the David and Goliath story, right? Right. That's, that's brilliant. So, okay. We're going to have an audience question right yeah. after this one more tee off of that comment. Cause that's, yeah. what you said this is very striking and I hope the founders are listening. It's really, really important. You said, don't throw a bunch of stuff at the wall. We're going to try 84 different things with little tiny budgets and hope one of them hits. You're saying pick a few bets and, and experiment on them. When do the founders here know whether it's working or not? When do they know whether to give that experiment up and try a new one? Or when do they know, oh, this is working, I'm gonna double down on this? How, what signals are they looking for? Yeah, so there's, there's always early, early indicators that you wanna look at. So, uh, I mean, taking Roku as an example, you know, we were trying to sell a product, right? So, so we knew, you know, what the cost to acquire a customer was. And, and so, you know, knowing, you know, early on that we're probably gonna to have to pay above what, what, what we're looking to acquire a customer, but you want to see that trend start to come down as you start, you know, getting better at figuring out who's the right audience, the right message, that trend has to start coming down. I mean, for us, we didn't really give ourselves, you know, like, you know, a, a lot of room. It, ideally, we wanted it within like four weeks to see, see, see the trend close to where, where we needed it to be. And, and, and another thing we figured out you know, in the process, like in order to try and, you know, get closer to the CAC that we had to get to, you know, we, we could do some upsells in the process. And that's when we started doing upsells in, 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 in the, in the registration, in the sign, in the registration flow where people were buying the product, then we were recommending cables because we had huge margins on the cables. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's where we spent a lot of AB testing to try and test different price points, different messages to get people to buy the cables. And what people didn't realize, 
you know, we, we were pretty much making a, a profit even as a hardware business on every sale we were doing because, you know, because the, the whole mindset from, from, from the CEO and the founder was, he, you know, we're not going to sort of just build a crazy business where we're just going to go and, and, and just do growth, growth, crazy, growth, growth, and, growth. Right, and, right. And, so, and so that put into check and balance into when's the right time to continue to scale the growth. Cause as you start, cause, cause, cause it ended up bringing in working capital that got used into, you know, manufacturing right. more product. And so there was so, a strategy for the company yeah. profitability, yeah. you good unit economics. Yeah. Then there was a strategy for marketing. We know our CAC, we're willing yeah. to pay a little above that, yeah. but we want to see that price uh, decline over yeah. four weeks. So you built yeah. a strategy, then you go execute. And if it hits those marks, you double down. If it doesn't hit the marks, you don't try anymore. This is great. Okay, Lomit, we're going to change it up a little bit. I, I mean, yeah. I could talk to you literally for six hours, but <laughs> I, I really, we've got a great audience here live at the yeah. factor and we're going to switch it up a little bit. So we're going to head on over to the Zoom chat. And um, our first question, and you get to ask this live, so be ready to unmute yourself, or Veronica's going to unmute you, comes from James Sowers. James Sowers, you have Lomit Live. Hi, Sonny. Thanks for taking my question, and congratulations on your book, Lomit. My question was, Thank how you. do you think about protecting against the bias in the data in the AI you're using? Um, do you mind just repeating that second part? I think I caught it, but, but I just want to make sure. That Oh, yeah, the, sec the second part was how do you think about protecting against the bias that's in the data in the AI when you're using it? Yeah, that's a, a, yes, that's a really good question. And, you know, you know, uh, bias in uh, the bias in the AI models are, are really important. So the way we, that we try to mitigate against that is that even though we have the machine kind of doing a lot of these AI um, algorithms for us, we have a a, a data scientist in house who overlooks those models. So we always try to audit those models, you know, every month to make sure that we're not over indexing in terms of the type of audiences that we're going after, as well as, you know, in terms of the messages that we're using. And more importantly, that, that everything's kind of in line with the values of, of, of us as a business, you know, because every company has different values, right? And so, you know, I would say, you know, the, the short answer is that we do have human uh, oversight in, in, into, you know, digging into those models for us. And, and we look at that pretty regularly. Hmm, cool. And you can manage that at scale. We do. We do. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. We've got another question uh, from the audience of The Factor. James Wang, unmute yourself. You have the mic with Lomit. Thanks, Sonny. Thanks, Louis. Just hey, a great talk. Um, first, I want to check, like, like when you were bootstrapping and then you, you want to really grow fast before spend time, like, uh, taking institutional investors, what is the best way to, to, like, see different, like, top talents of marketing people and how to, you know, make them join you? And also, when you started bringing uh, initial users, right, a lot of them could be noise from AI perspective. And how do you swing through and how do you say, okay, I need to tweak my marketing strategy based on, I think this is better. You know, I get more traction this way or just 80% of people say this way that I that might be like out of the 80% might be uh, half of them are noise. I mean, how, how do you look at those things? 
Yeah, you know, um, you know, you know, I can start probably with the second part of that question, which is, you know, you know, how do you sort of factor for the type of users you're bringing in, whether it's the right quality and it's not just Right. Yeah, and and so I mean, for us, it's really uh, it's really easy because 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 we have clear definitions of what success is. You know, as far as you know, what you know, what's the lifetime value of a customer? Uh, what's the the cost to acquire a customer? But but more importantly, you know, another thing that we look at is 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 a payback period. So you know, if we're spending a certain amount of money, how long does it take to recoup that money back? And so you know, without AI, you know. Um, we're always looking at users based on cohorts. So, you know, whenever a user's coming in, based on the time frame, we're always tracking that user from the time they register and 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 how and, and how they mature into the product, not only around, you know, how, how we're able to like monetize them, but also, you know, us being a social networker, MView, the value is for people to engage with the product too, because that provides a network effect to other users. So all of these signals are being um, tracked. And, so do you and, do some prototypes like this kind of users? They will have this pattern and that's yeah, different yeah, one, so you yeah, just follow that? Yeah, yeah. So that's what I meant, you know, uh, and, 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 I, and I said it really sort of simplistically, but we pretty much create like good, better, best audiences based on all of these different data signals. And so, you know, based on which category a user falls into, whichever those buckets are, then, then we kind of have a baseline of how those users behave on those cohorts. And then, and then we're always looking at, the, at these new users that are coming in on, on, on how they basically uh, match up to, to the baseline. That's, that's how we sort of make okay. sure that we're not just injecting a lot of noise. And, and I think the first part of your question is, 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 is a really important one, which is how do you attract like new sort of growth marketing talent to like an early stage startup? Was yeah, it something, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I mean, for me, you know, um, you know, I, th I can kind of tell you what, what attract, attracts me to like join startups, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I, part of it is, 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 is what is, you know, what's the vision for the business, you know, you know, what's this, what's the problem that the founder or the CEO is, is trying to solve. So I feel, you know, if the founder story is really important because, you know, that really helps to connect a lot of people to come, you know, whether they want to be part of that journey with you or not. But the other thing that, that that's important too is that, you know, it's important to try and sort of attract people with the right mindset too, especially early on in the business. And so there's two types of mindsets, you know, uh, the mindset is, you know, does this person want to be an employee or do they, do they want to be an owner? Cause you want an owner mindset type of person. So it's like the, you know, that, that they're coming in and, and they're going to be, you know, treating the business like it's their own business and, 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 and the way they sort of, you know, make decisions, it's going to be based on what's, what, what's right for the business, you know? So I feel, you know, um, going back to, you know, you know, if you can attract, ideally what happens is if you can attract someone, you know, who's, who, who's a little bit seasoned and, and experienced, then generally thing, what happens is they usually have a good network already. So if you bring in the right person and, you, and, and you're able to get them to buy into the vision of where the business is going. And more importantly, you know, uh, you know, make them, you know, make them feel like, the, you know, 
the thing that I use as an analogy is, do you want to be a passenger or a driver in a business, right? And, and, you know, it's the line that I usually use when it comes to recruiting because, you know, ultimately in growth, you know, there's no one better set to really know how well the business is going to do because you have such a big influence into how the business is going to grow. And so, you know, it's not about coming in and betting on the business. You're really betting on your own capability. Do you really feel that you're up to the challenge to really make this business successful? Because no one has more of an influence to really help that business be successful than somebody coming into growth marketing. And, and, and that's where you can sort of figure out, is that person really going to wants to step up to be an owner or do they just want to be a participant in the ride? And, 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 you know, based on that, you know, the people that want to step up, you know, I, you know, will step up at that stage. Cause that, cause generally most people in growth, you know, want to take on a new challenge, you know, mm. Oh. Mm -hmm. Mm, very good. Uh, another question. So, uh, Alifia, you've got the mic, ask Loman anything. This is great. Hey, thanks, Sonny and uh, Lomit. So I had a follow-up on that last question, which is you've got a number of subscribers. You've got all these people coming to you. And as you sort through this noise, I think, as we characterize it, maybe because there's so many people, how do you figure out within all that, is it AI you use or something else, who your ideal customer is? Excuse me, because it's how you shape your future strategy, right? and your future segments. So how do you sort through this to identify them? Yeah, so for us, you know, you know, you know we use a lot of AI for that, you know, because it's, it's all about, um, I, I mean, there's two ways to look at AI. Um, uh, I mean, simplistic way, you know, we use machine learning, but there's two forms of machine learning, there's structure, structured data and unstructured data. What we try to do is, you know, you know, we try to sort of practice both of those, but with unstructured data, is data where we just throw in a whole bunch of all of this data signals that are coming in, where we don't really know what it means, but we, but, but we try to sort of, you know, get our AI to know what the outcomes are that we're trying to get to and figure out with this data, you know, what, you know, what, you know, what, what's the right way to optimize this data to get to these outcomes. And, and, and based on those outcomes, you know, you know, once we have clearly defined, because it all starts with targeting the right customer, right? So, so we use that to target the right users. Then, then once you target the right users, it's about ensuring that you're giving them the right personalized experience to really predict out pretty quickly, you know, what's the best way for us to retain and monetize those customers. And so, you know, you know, all the time we're always making predictions, you know, based on basic, based on actions or behaviors that they're taking or not taking. And, you know, I mean, I, mean, I can't say, say, say 100% that we get it right all the time, but, but, but we're always working to like an accuracy rate of like, you know, 80%, you know, at least 80%. And, 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 and for us, you know, just like in business, you, you've got to be willing to risk, a, you know, instead of looking for perfection, you want to look for direction. The question is how much are you willing to trade off on that to depend on how quickly you want to scale. Mm, okay. Um, audience hang with us. We did get started just a couple minutes late and I'm going to go a couple minutes over. I've only gotten through about half my questions and I'm, we're going to have to have you back a little bit. I'm <laughs> just telling you, but talk to us. You wrote a book you're connected to one of the startup Bible authors of the world, Eric Reese. Talk a little bit about Lean AI, your book. What will people get out of it when they read it? 
Yeah, you know, uh, one thing I, I'm not sure if people know, but I, I'll put it out there is that Eric Reese is actually one of the co-founders at Enview. So, mm, cool. so I, I, and I know that you read his book, uh, yep. but I don't know if you realize his book was actually based on Enview. Really? Yeah. So, so, so the, really? whole, the whole concept, the concept of MVP was based was, on Enview. It was based that on every MVP. single founder in the world uses. That's right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Build, yeah. measure, learn was based that, on Enview. It was based on that's why it, so that's why there's your answer why did it survive for two decades because <laughs> of build measure learn yeah brilliant yeah. okay interesting. i know and and so you know uh you know uh so i was fortunate to have access to 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 get to know eric from 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 being involved in the company and you know you know you know, my idea was, you know, what would be the next evolution of his book if he was to kind of write it today, right? Because ultimately, it's, it's all about increasing your velocity of learning. It's all about experimentation. I mean, obviously, when Eric did this, you know, there was no AI. It was all around, you know, just running experiments. But but now with AI, it just uh, it, it just increases that velocity of how many experiments you can potentially run. And and the big challenge with any business is 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 really once you get to product market fit, where do you go from there? Because that's that that that's when that that's mm. when the journey starts getting even harder. It doesn't get easier because that's kind of the entry. That's a ticket to get into the game. But but Bingo. once yeah, once you're in the game, and so you know uh, you know he encouraged me. To, uh, I, I, I was I was fortunate that he liked the idea, and he told me to sort of come up with a book proposal. And, and, and this is full disclosure. I said, sure. I had no idea what he meant by a book proposal, but I went to Google and figured it out. And then I came up with the, uh, the book proposal idea. And uh, long story short, he connected me with O'Reilly. And, you know, uh, but, but, but the book basically is a, uh, is a continuation of what the whole theme is around being lean. Mm. And it's about being lean, but with growth, it's about, you know, increasing that velocity of learning and really just leveraging AI. And so what the book goes into, it's kind of two, two sections through it. One section is really about digital transformation on how AI can really give your business the competitive advantage, right, to really grow. Mm -hmm. and, and AI, what people don't realize, AI is already there. So it's not a matter of having to go and build this. It also talks about my own personal journey on, on how I was able to stitch this thing together, which I think is really about being resourceful, which is why it really, you know, I think it would really help a lot of startups because it's about being resourceful on, on, on how can you take what you have to really make this work, right? And, right. and to what we were saying earlier, you know, we're fortunate now where, you know, we don't have to go and build all of this, you know, it, it's kind of there. It's just a matter of just putting the right pieces together to, to get it to work. And then the second part of the book talks more to, once you have that, how do you leverage that? What are the right growth strategies to put into place because once mm. you've got once you've got the technology it's like you still got to have the strategy to 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 to, to make it work and and that's where i sort of lean you know it's lean into my experiences working with a number of different startups and, and ultimately what were the right growth strategies that really you know made a difference because because it's not about at the end of the day it's not about just growing it's about finding those infection points to really get from a to c a to f versus a to b right i mean right. i mean it, and, and how quickly can you get to those infection points and and based on the different business models that you have and you know the book kind of talks about how how to take those giant leaps to the next stage incredible well i'm going to channel my inner oprah right now 
<laughs> and I'm going to say, audience who stuck around listening to these brilliant uh, quotes from Lomit, five of you, we're going to buy a copy of your book, of Lomit's book, and send it to you along with an awesome Sparrow t-shirt, if for whoever makes the best social media post, you got to tag Lomit and tag Sparrow Ventures. It's at Sparrow Ventures and at Patel Lome, I believe. Um, yeah. on whatever platform you like and Veronica is going to judge the best five and send you a package. So we're going to, you got five more book sales, buddy. Thanks. Man. Um, we're going to wrap up here in a little bit and yeah, get to work on that audience. You can do screenshots, do some quote loam it, whatever you want to do. But, uh, my last question for you, man, is what is one piece of advice from the Lomit Patel playbook that every founder should know and that you would have given yourself back in your early days? That's a tough question. But, you know, uh, what, I, what I will say is, you know, I've been fortunate to have worked with a number of different founders. And so I've got to work with founders that were first-time founders and, and, and founders that will, you know, uh, multiple uh, times that have, that have been through that journey. And what I find the big difference between the ones that have done it more than once is focus. You know, what I find with first-time founders uh, that I've worked with generally want to try to take on too much and spread themselves thin. And it comes back to that whole question of, you know, time and resources and money, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, everybody just has 24 hours. How do you want to allocate that, you know, it, because that dictates how the rest of the thing is going to play out. And, and what I found you know, Roku is a good example. Uh, what people don't realize, Roku means six in Japanese, and that was Anthony Wood's six startup. That's why he came up with that 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 name, Roku. But obviously, by the time he started Roku, you know, what 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 I loved working there was how disciplined it was. We're, we're going to focus on solving one problem, which is to create the best streaming experience to turn a dumb TV into a smart TV at the end of the day, right? Because in those days, there were no smart TVs. Roku right. was the way to, to do that. And instead of getting sidetracked into trying to come up with all these product extensions and all these features, you know, even today, I think anybody who uses a Roku box, you know, there, there were three core tenants that, that we had back in the day, and I think it's still practice now, which is value, to make sure the price point was low enough so you could reach a, a large total addressable market. Simplicity, so that you don't have to be tech savvy to really use a product, it's really easy. And content was ultimately the, the magnet. You know, the more content, the more value that it ended up providing to, to the users. Great advice, Lomit, great advice. A little bit more to add? No, so I was gonna say, you know, and, and, and the important part was, you know, for, for, for any founder is to, re, is, is to reiterate that frequently so people mm -hmm. never forget it, you know, because what, what I found, you know, in startups is that you can have your all hands, whatever, and, and, and you do the mantra, but you've you got to put it on the walls, you put it, put it everywhere, so, so, so it's, you live and breathe it, you know, and, and that's what we did at Roku. That's yeah. spot on. No, yeah. the, those simple things make huge differences. That's great yeah. advice. Loma, it's been such a joy to have you on The Factor. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, incredible wisdom um, that I know is going to help the audience. As you know, everybody, we are recording this 
and Sparrow Ventures will be publishing this online, both on my podcast, The Factor, and on YouTube, so look for that. Um, thank you all for attending live. I love having this live audience there. Thank you all for the questions. We're going to send you a little swag box for those of you that ask questions. And remember, five Sparrow, um, five uh, Lean AI books from, from Lomit Patel here, plus a Sparrow shirt for those the five most awesome posts, as judged by Veronica from Sparrow. So please follow Imview at IMVU, and make sure to follow Lomit Patel at Patel Lom. that's at Patel L-O-M, that's two L's, and pick up a copy of Lean AI by Lomit Patel. I know it's on Amazon. Get it for your Kindle or order a copy. Um, we're going to post this uh, episode of The Factor next week. You can always follow me at Sunny Mayuba and at Sparrow Ventures. Be on the lookout for episode four. It's going to be really fun. And maybe episode five, we'll get Eric and you back on. We'll talk about the early stage of MVP and where we take it. That'd be fun, Lomit. Um, but big picture, Lomit, I want to thank you for being the factor, man. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. I'm so it. glad you're here. No, it was really good. And until next time, everybody, stay safe, never give up. And if you're an awesome company that is looking for investment, send us your deck. If you're already launched and you're looking for growth strategies, get a hold of Lomit. See you all next time.